America. F yeah. Coming again to save the motherfucking day. Yeah, America. F yeah. The knockout round is the only way. Yeah. It's called soccer, mate. You better start paying attention. I mean, I do want to start the Week in the Tackle Podcast World Cup mm. special. Tom Rennie and Brian Dunseth with you with congratulations. Hearty and, and genuinely felt to our American fans who have done a lot to build up the game of football in America. So much so you've named all of your team's football clubs. But I've, I've got to mention this because I don't, I don't really get it. I got it when you were doing It's Called Soccer Against England because of the mm. England-America sort of banter thing. Yeah. I got that. It was quite yeah. funny yeah. when you had your weird Confederate guy with the drum, you know, bang, 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 vote Trump at the front. That was very funny. Um, but then you played Iran. And Iran don't give a solitary f about the football soccer thing. And mm. also, like, we're not that interested. It's weird. It's yeah. just weird. You yeah. know, it's weird. It's continuing. And again, the inferiority complex that you guys have at some point, when you've made the round of 16 at the World Cup and been real good, yeah. You can drop it. You can you can drop it if you like. Yeah, Randy, listen, I, I get it. <clears throat> I get it. I, I would say and I would agree with you that the whole thing about we have to call it soccer. You got to recognize it as being soccer and not football or fushy ball or whatever ball that comes into play. It is an insecurity thing, man. And we do have to get over it. I don't care. You can call it football. You can call it soccer. I dip in and out of both depending on mm. in a show like this or when we're doing Rennie and Dunny take America on Grumpy Punt. It's uh, Fridays, by the way, on SiriusXM FC Channel 157. When we're in the country, so not every week. Not every week. Uh, most anyway. weeks. Yeah. Most weeks. Screw you, World Cup. Um, but yeah, listen, the, the, the reality is that we do this thing to puff our chests. And yes. I found it super awkward. But I guess that's the rallying cry, Rennie. We got a rallying cry that's for true. this young group of true. young men that uh, are exceeding expectations day by day by day by day. It was very funny in the England game, though. I did actually think that was quite amusing. But, the, I mean, the Iran one, I mean, to be fair, don't Iran have some issues with you? Mm. Um, so before we get into all that, though, uh, I don't want to get into all that controversy. Uh, let's talk a little bit about... That was an excellent political joke there. I could be on Have I Got News For You with that kind of uh, <laughs> shtick. Um, anyway... Let's talk about the USA. Let's talk mm. about what I'm contractually obliged to call the hashtag USMNT, the US men's national team. Yeah. Though I hear because of the the incredible equal pay deal struck by the women footballers that they earn like $6 million out of this. Six so and a half. For them. Yeah. Tremendous. Uh, yeah. Absolutely tremendous. That, and uh, by the way, that's more money than they, that they, that they took from the pay purse of winning two women's world cups yes. just by the men, because it's for those that don't understand Equal pay between both. They're basically pulling the money from their World Cup winnings, and then they're splitting them 50-50 right down the middle. So the U.S. women, by product of the United States qualifying for the knockout round, have earned $6.5 million to split amongst themselves. So fantastic yeah, terrific. stuff. It's from about the what they should be getting from the, the women's tournaments they keep on winning. Mm. It's kind of not their fault. The rest of women's soccer hasn't quite caught up to America yet, apart from the English, of course. Um, anyway, <laughs> we'll save that for another day because that's all great. Um, the men, I thought, well, I'll, I'll briefly say I thought they were brilliant and well-deserved victory. Uh, I switched over to the game around about five minutes into the second half of the England game when, when it was assured. I switched over to the US and thought it was tremendous. The the sheer nerve-wracking nature 
of mm. that second half. I watched the, sec- the the first half back since, and, and we'll talk about that, how good they were on the ball, the creativity, the chances, um, the uh, the broken pickle of Christian Pulisic, all that sort of stuff. We'll get into all that. Uh, but the second half, Dunny, tell us where you watched it. Tell us how you felt. Tell yeah. us what was going through your mind when the Iranian bloke died for a penalty in the last minute. <laughs> take us through. Yeah, take us through your you. experience. Yeah, listen, I, I had uh, I had the U.S. game on, on the television. I had the England game on the computer. I was kind of staggering watching both. Um, again, it's a new experience for me. I got I got off Twitter a couple of weeks ago, so now I'm not watching the conversation and the narratives and the ups and downs, the highs and lows. I'm just taking the game in. And for the United States, listen, this group is is young, dynamic, fearless, intense. Um, they are, I would say, brave. I would say relentless. Um, and they continue to impress. And I think as we've watched this team kind of navigate their first experience on the world stage with class and conviction off the field, but then on the field, they, they've been up for every single game, right? And listen, can they improve? Yeah, I think every team can improve. Is there conversations or questions surrounding individual players or substitutions or tactics? You can say that about any any team in this tournament. But so far, what this team has done with the three youngest starting 11s in this World Cup, you got to give credit where credit needs to be given. And what Greg Berhalter and this group has done so far has been extraordinary. There has been pressure on them, even when I say there is no pressure, because in a way they've been naive to the stage because they haven't been there. But I'll tell you what, mm. if you're Netherlands, if you're Louis van Hoge army, <laughs> you have to be a little bit concerned about this team because I'm not sure Netherlands are prepared for the way that the U.S. is going to go at them. Um, because there is a lot of athleticism and I know the star names and I know the back of the jerseys and I know the faces and I know the domestic teams and Holland is two to one uh, considered two to one winners right now before the balls even kicked off. But I think they'll take a good hard look at that England game and try to figure out maybe what the United States did really well against Gareth Southgate's side yeah. outside of not scoring and understand that they're going to be up for this. They are absolutely going to be up for this matchup against uh, Louis van Hoge army. Let's hold too much preview until we record on Friday, looking ahead to the weekend, because yeah. I think there's going to be lots of uh, news before then. We don't know about Christian Pulisic, whether he's going to be available or not. I saw the, the U S tweet something today that they're going to take it kind of hour by hour to see if he's going to be okay for the game and a few other concerns as well. So if we just park mm. preview for a minute and I agree with uh, the fact it's going to be a great game. I don't agree with the, uh, um, just the ongoing inferiority. I, I I find it really odd when I speak to Americans about their team. I do find it so strange considering the strength of, of the squad that you have. And, you know, the Dutch are playing Davy Klaassen and Daily Blint. So, mm. you know, let's not go wild in how good they are. They're playing Memphis Depay. You know, who at this point? Two years ago, maybe now. Barca sub? You know, anyway, we'll hold all that because I think it's weird. I want to talk about the group stage in general. I want to look back mm. at the three games we talk about last night. And I wonder, Dan, if you could pick out maybe three real positive individual things about how the U.S. have, I think, increasingly impressed game by game from the mm. draw uh, against Wales, where they should have won, from the draw against England, where they should have won, 
and the victory over Iran, where arguably they should have won by more and had the game out of sight by half time. What a let's say three. I mean, you yeah. know, that it's not strict. Yeah. You know, they, so, I'm not your teacher. You do as many as you want, but I think yeah. three is a good number of key reasons why they've got yeah. through. Let, uh, let, let's start with Christian Pulisic. Christian Pulisic has cemented his legacy amongst the U.S. men's national team, Mount Rushmore, with that goal. He absolutely has. That goal is going to be a generational memory for the U.S. fan base because not only the build-up to the goal, what a ball from Weston McKinney, what, what a great header from Serginho Dust, and for Christian to expose the defenders and burst into that space and score that goal. Listen, the 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 collision, um, the the sacrifice, the the obvious pain he was under, the fact that he gutted through those last couple of minutes when he could have very easily just gone straight to the locker room mm-hmm. and been assessed properly. The fact that not only did he do everything that's been asked of him so 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 far, right? Because there, there were many critical conversations based on his form and the questions surrounding why he couldn't get on the field at Chelsea. There was questions heading into the tournament about the reliability of Christian Pulisic. He has answered every single question. His, his leadership, his performance, his intensity, and his play. Listen, I, I made the comparison that Landon Donovan had Clint Dempsey, that Michael Bradley had Jermaine Jones, that Carlos Bocanegra had a Gucci Anyewu. Well, Christian Pulisic has Greg Berhalter playing him in a role that suits him perfectly. Anthony Robinson overlapping relentlessly time and time again takes pressure off Christian. Tyler Adams playing in that position and mopping up everything, clawing all that ground as a defensive midfielder allows more space for Christian. The play of Eunice Musa and Weston McKinney and their ability to hold the ball under pressure and connect passes affords more time and space for Christian Pulisic. And every time Christian gets on the ball, there is an electricity to what he's capable of doing. And every single time he turns and he kind of just dinks away from a player and runs at full speed, listen, you got to give credit where credit's due. And not only is Christian putting on that jersey and has raised his performances without a shadow of a doubt, he's also doing it individually. And I think clubs around the world will be looking at him and wondering what his availability is based on what's transpired at Chelsea. That's short-term. Long-term, undeniable what he's capable of doing. Undeniable. And you got to give the man credit because I think Clint Dempsey said it multiple times. Heavy's the head that wears the crown. Christian Pulisic is not only wearing that crown, he deserves to wear that crown because he is the face of U.S. soccer, and he is absolutely delivered. Pulisic, Pulisic scoring on the big stage at the big moment, giving a generational moment to a massive fan base and growing fan base for mm. football in America. Number two, what do you got for me? Um, I would say the, the question marks we had coming in. Matt Turner, who was our goalkeeper. No Zach Steffen. Matt Turner. Arsenal, right? The, 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 the time of the switch, walking into a new club and being Ramsdale's backup. Um, two shutouts. Really, to, in the run of play, three shutouts. I, I know the penalty kick is the penalty kick, and it's still a goal. Mm. But I look at it as a center back, right? As a defensive unit, those are three games without conceding a goal in the run of play. 
Matt Turner has looked calm. He's looked cool, collected, and his technical ability on the ball of playing out of pressure has been superb. And that was one of the biggest question marks we had about this, this, this theoretical style of play. Um, I'll lump in Tim Ream. Tim Ream has been excellent. Tim Ream has been excellent at center back for so many questions we had, not only about why he was so good with Fulham and why wasn't he included with the U.S. men's national team, but whether it's with Walker Zimmerman or Cameron Carter-Vickers, who I thought was really, really good as well. Um, Ream is just, I mean, I don't know what else to say about him, but he is the ultimate center back with a technical left foot that is never under pressure. You never feel like when the ball is at his feet that there's a mistake that can be made, that he's going to just give the ball away. And his range athletically, I've had zero questions about him. I don't think he's made mistakes with the way that he's cutting down angles, he's pressing, he's running with guys. Um, and, and then I think finally just the the cohesion with Tyler Adams with the connection between the back four and allowing Des to go, allowing Robinson to go. And, and Tyler, he, he puts out fires, man. He eats up so much ground. And I know we do the thing where we're like, okay, what's the next move? But Tyler's performance, I think, absolutely puts him in a spotlight of certain clubs that are in need of that position. And I'm not suggesting Leeds United. And I'm not suggesting that Jesse Marsh is going to sell him. But I think there will be some inquiries as to what the cost would be potentially for Tyler Adams' availability. And then finally, yes, I want to give it to Greg Berhalter. There's a lot of questions, man. And I know he's taken a lot of stick from the first day he's been named manager um, for how he's navigated this young group through the international friendlies, through the tournaments, beating Mexico in two regional tournaments, and then qualifying this group with very little experience. Um, I know he's taken a ton of stick for his substitution pattern. I know he's taken a ton of stick for the lack of Gio Reyna playing any minutes outside of the seven minutes um, against England. But, I mean, what's he really done wrong here? Mm. I mean, the way he set this team up, the way the team is executed, the way the team is navigated, he was in a must-win game against Iran, and he got this team through. And I think his his... His body language on the sideline suggests that that team was prepared. There was no manic screaming and yelling and you know, flipping out and you know berating the referees. This was pointing out he's got a very very mature body language on the sideline. He still got the bounce back pass. I saw that a couple of times. He still's got the J ones. They look phenomenal. But overall, he he's done everything that's been asked of him and probably yeah. more. So I would say those are. In my mind, as I watch this team continue to evolve and grow up on the big stage, listen, can they be better? Yes. Can they be a little bit less shaky near the end of matches? Yes. Can they find not just the first goal, but the second goal? Yes. Is there still a question about at the number nine position? Are we looking for guys that can occupy space? Are we looking for guys that can bring the work rate? Are we looking for guys that can just hold up play? Or can we look for someone that can actually score goals and become even that much more athletic? Yeah, these are all legitimate conversations. But man, we just got out of the fucking group. And we're taking on Holland. We're taking on Netherlands. We're taking on Louis van Hoge army in the knockout round. Not a lot of people had that on their bingo card. Do Sorry, you think Tim. they have a podcast in Holland where a former Dutch footballer and somebody from England does like Greg Berhalder's army <laughs> at some point? I hope so. 
Yeah. I hope that exists. We I mean, it would, it, would be a, it would hit. It would definitely hit. It would hit. It would definitely do well in Nepal. Um, I, I've got to ask you, um, well, I'll say ask you, that the bearholder thing is really interesting. And I have the conversation here all the time about Gareth Southgate. We've had it on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I had it on another show this morning. I'm continually having it because suddenly I've become, you know, Gareth Southgate fanboy. But, you know, there are faults, <laughs> loads of faults. And we'll get to the England conversation, mm-hmm. I think, later. But getting out of the group, navigating the group is really difficult. You ask Iran, who have done this six times in their history and have failed to get out of the group. You mm-hmm. ask Wales where they prefer to be. Um, some great teams, some World Cup winners, the following World Cup have failed to get out of the group the next time around, you know. So it is a skill. And do you think, Dunny, when we get to further conversations about Greg Berhalter after this tournament, and look, just for, for those that think this is a realistic possibility, I don't think the US are going to win the World Cup. I think there's a great chance against Netherlands, which we'll talk about in a, in a future show, but I don't mm. think you're going to win the World Cup. So maybe it is a quarterfinal finish, even a semi-final finish, even losing finalists, right? But let's just say it ends in the in the Dutch game, for argument's sake, right? Do you think there will be enough respect put on the achievements of this group stage? Because it certainly isn't here hmm. with Gareth Southgate. I know this, this, it's horses for courses in different, you know, contexts yeah. or whatever, it being the national sport and it being, you know, the, the third or fourth biggest sport, whatever, I get all that. But do you think people are actually going to, I hate this phrase, but I can't think of another one. This is for the YouTubers and the kids. Put some respect on his name. I, no, well, okay. Let, let me try to explain this. For Greg Berhalter, there's always been two separate camps. There's the camp that he never deserved the job and it was a huge mistake. There was the other camp of, okay, he deserves a job, or I'm not really sure if he deserves a job, but I'm going to give him a chance. And th- those, and yeah, I like, the, I'm going to give him a chance and he deserves a job. Those were always going to be there. These ones, like the guy sucks. He didn't deserve it. What the hell were we doing? U.S. soccer is terrible. Burn it all down again. <laughs> well, we burnt, we burnt everything to the ground. I mean, literally only the media officers were, are the ones that survived the complete demolition of U.S. soccer from the inside out after missing out on the World Cup in 2018. So in this five-year span, everything behind the scenes has been rejuvenated and rebuilt with completely different people. Um, Cindy Parlo Cohn is the president of U.S. soccer, right? So it, it's we have a, a women's former women's national team as the head of U.S. soccer. Uh, Ernie Stewart, Brian McBride, both former players, are now the leadership group. Um, on 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 U.S. soccer, and then specifically the men's side. So for Greg, listen, I want him to earn the respect of those naysayers. And I think the further we see the progression of this team at this World Cup, that will definitely help him. Do I think he gives a flying squirrel about it? Absolutely not. Mm. I think he is so laser-focused on his ideology his development, his group, what he wants to see from his team. Because remember, you know, the, the unique thing about this, and this is goes the same for Gareth Southgate. Greg Berhalter and Gareth Southgate, they're not there to develop per se. They're there to take the best complement of players, put them on the field and have their success. These are the longest stretches outside of the tournaments, right? The Euros or the Gold Cup or any of the Nations League, all that, that you're actually going to have your hands on these players. 
So now you got your hands on the players, you're coaching these players and you can help develop the system much more than an international window where you get them for two or three days, guys are recovering, rest and recuperation. You got to travel, all of those things. So those are all the, what, what, what I'm saying is that I think Greg's job, no matter what, after getting out of the group, group stage is secure. He is going to have the benefit of the doubt of the decision makers behind the scenes to continue this in the buildup to the 2026 World Cup that's being hosted in conjunction with Mexico and Canada in the United States. I kind of have a quick bit I wanted to talk to you about before we do a few minutes on England. Um, regular listeners of this program and to Grumpy Pundits and the various things I do will know this. And people were texting me this last night uh, on uh, on at SiriusXMFC on Twitter. It's a great social media platform, Danny. You should try it before it burns <laughs> to the ground. Um, offside, mm. offside in, in the modern world with mm. technology and computers and calculators and, and spods running the game as opposed to people who, you know, like football. Mm. Um, our overlords at Skynet who run the offsides it should be from the feet. Offside, offside should be from the feet because defenders lean forward when they're running. They're they're aiming often looking forward towards the ball that's coming to them, whereas the the the, the attacker is running towards the goal, so they're leaning forward. So often yeah. you'll get a knee or a shoulder or a head offside, which are currently under the laws parts of the body that can play the ball. But there is a certain conjecture there, even with the chip in the ball hmm. and all that sort of stuff they do now. And I wonder, Danny, if I might have got several thousand, if not million converts last night when a beautiful ball is played down the left channel to Tim Weyer, who what a ball. What a finish. converts incredibly yeah. Yeah. with this gentle, delicate poke into the bottom corner past the goalkeeper. And it's taken away because his knee and thigh and shoulder were offside, whereas... I think that benefits the defender and defensive line too much, considering, mm. of course, the top half of their body is going to be offside because that's how people run. You <laughs> lean forward and they're not leaning backwards. Mm. And so that's always going to happen. If you do it from the feet, the US are 2-0 up, as they should have been at halftime anyway, and we could have had a nice chill during the second period. Well, and there's a couple goals in this tournament that would fall into this category. Lautaro Martinez uh, and getting the second goal for Argentina against Saudi don't Arabia. Don't pretend you care about them. Don't I do, don't pretend. I do. I do, don't, I do, I do this like is the one you care about. Do don't like go Argentina. on about Argentina. Um, yeah, listen, I, I think from a theoretical standpoint, I agree with you. I do. I understand the laws of the game are going to say anything that can legally score a goal in an offside position deems you to be in an offside position. I'll tell you what my bigger gripe is. Hmm. My bigger gripe is the amount of time it takes for this imagery to go on air. Yes, because, they just played on last night. They were just playing on before they'd even come off the close-up of Ware's face, I think. Well, 100%. And it's unlike, well, while the technology is like goal line technology, right? It's a factual split second. You're going to get the alert and that's a goal or it's not a goal, right? Referees point to their watch. Like, mm, what didn't go over the line? Didn't get didn't get the buzz on the wrist. Mm. Um, m- my problem is, I don't believe. Well, sorry. Let me pull Uh-oh. that back. Uh oh. I am still of the belief that human error comes into play when we are watching the game. 
And I know technology is the technology. And I've had certain arguments about the technology and the frame rate and the speed and how this all lines up. And But I want the feel-good factor of much like asking a referee to go over and have another look at the monitor when there's a big decision being made and not just listen to the Stockley Park or in Atlanta for MLS or blah, 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 blah. There is a, a, a feel-good factor for me to see the image planted on my big screen and showing exactly why he has been determined to be in an offside position because mm. you and I and Tim were on our group chat going, whoa, 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 he's on, what is he on? Is he off? Like we didn't even get a second look. We didn't get a replay. Like what the f- is happening over? Like show us the, vi- give us the fucking vision. Sorry, Tim. Sorry, mm. Tim. You know, they don't do that because they think it will wind people up. They think that, uh, really? I was in a, I was in a meeting, uh, that basically the, the conjecture was if we showed people the minutiae of the, decision-making process Hmm. people would spend all this time going on about var and going on about whether the decision was right or wrong and continuing to argue the toss even of what they would think of as matter-of-fact decisions they were like just don't show them Hmm. and we'll show them later when things have cooled down when things have simmered down what what you described there is a is a intentional uh process so you would kind of stay cool and accept it did you stay cool and accept it no it, it actually makes me more frustrating because yes. we're not giving multiple looks at the angle and understanding exactly what we're seeing. Because the, these, like like the Lataro Martinez goal, these are eyeball tests in real yeah, time yeah, where that. the player looks to be in an onside position. Oh, and then Martinez. when you, sh- it's and a then Lata- when you- that's the that's the one I'm thinking of. It's the Lataro Martinez one. That's the one. That's the yeah. one that really got him. When that's the on one the that's really wound him up. Here. Shoulder. The other, the like Tim shoulder one, part. He just brushed it off his shoulder. It meant nothing to him. He moved on. He just that moved goal. on immediately. But that, by the way, that goal, that, so good, spectacular finish. The yeah. technical ability that yeah, it took, right. and the spin of the ball. The best part was from the angle that they took when it came off his foot. You're like, oh, it's probably going to go wide, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's like a, it was like a bowling. It's like a seven ten split. All of a sudden it's like, whoop, off the post, fantastic goal. Yeah, what a what a player, Tim Way. Do you think it was and, one of them, uh, one of those moments, like you know, if you go to golf and you realize you've lost and you've got like a twenty foot putt and you pop hmm. it in, but if the pressure's on, you know, you, you're straight into you the bunker yourself. behind the grain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yourself. think he knew he was offside and he was like, so I can do this incredible finish, nah. like the Cameroonian guy the other day, the scoop of Bubakar. Yes. He yeah. knew he he knew he was offside, so did the scoop, but then yeah. got the goal given, and now it seems like a great World Cup goal. But at the yeah. time, he was just dicking around. He thought yeah. he was off. And by the way, you know what's totally f-ed up about that goal? Sorry, Tim. I'm gonna stop cursing. I promise. Is that a Bubakar? That's probably goal of the tournament for yeah. me. That at least the top three goal of the tournament, and he didn't even get to celebrate it properly. Yeah, yeah. Like such a filthy scoop. Like, yes. I mean, he scoop. And not only did he have, first, he like dips right. Defender does a Tom Cruise flyby. Like, and, and all of a sudden, then he just scoops him from outside the 18 yard box. And it was such a big scoop, by the way, when you go back and watch it, as it drops and hits the ground, it pops up and hits the roof of the net. That's how yeah, big the gorgeous. scoop was. Gorgeous. But he didn't think he was on. He thought he was offside. Not yeah, a chance did. would he have done that. Not a chance so would he have the done that. He thought he was yeah. on. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> um, briefly, two other quick bits on this before we'll do preview in a couple of days. How much do you want everyone who takes a vuvuzela into a football match to be arrested and sent to prison for forty years? I mean, just just the worst sound. Mm. Like mm. you know, you know, different countries and continents have their footballing culture. 
and you know I tolerate and respect it. It doesn't mean I don't reserve the right to think it. <laughs> shit. Apologies, Tim. <laughs> Some would say sorry, but not me. I've got my own culture. Um, but like you know. I understand in some places in Africa, predominantly, they do it differently. And they brought that sound to the 2010 World Cup, yeah. commonly accepted as the worst World Cup ever before this one. And why would you think, oh, good game, got my chips, got my dip, got a couple beers, the lads around, my team are playing. You know what we need? Do we need it, Danny? Is really my question. You know, you know, it it reminds me of like when you're stuck going into like the Lincoln Tunnel and there's a yes. ton of traffic and yes. everyone just starts honking their horn and it's just the noise echoing and billowing around and you got a truck driver's doing it and he gets in the mix. You got a you got a, a local metro bus doing it as well. The sound oh. r- rattles my brain to the core. Horrible. It's so horrible. Um, but listen. This is the one the, the one thing I will say about this this tournament is that we have seen different environments because of the fan bases now that are getting the opportunity like the Tunisias, right? Like, Look at you what, making a serious point out of my joke about Vuvuzelas. You fucking professional. It's uh it, it's it is really that's that's one of my favorite aspects of this tournament is seeing kind of the the different fan groups that we're not used to seeing when we are regularly tuning into a World Cup. So England were all quite good as well. I I do want to mention the other games in in the group. I mean, there's not a great deal of discussion to be had on England, apart from the fact that, again, I think they navigated the group stage very, very well. Gareth Southgate, the manager, has a lot of respect from me, at least, because of it. There were no great uh stressful moments in the group stage were they outplayed by the us yes they were but did they play anywhere near their best no they didn't seven points from nine reasonably comfortable defensively all the way through players that were coming into the tournament injured were able to get some minutes Hmm. should england beat senegal on sunday they go up against france more than likely in a quarter final and that would be Kyle Walker's played 60 minutes of football before he faces Mbappe, maybe the only person in the world who could catch Mbappe in a, in, in a straight race. So it was just a brilliantly navigated group stage again from Gareth Southgate. For that, he gets my respect and should have more peoples. I do want to just talk about Marcus Rashford briefly mm. um, and get your view on Marcus Rashford because you and I, during our, our season conversations, talk about Marcus Rashford. We talk about Manchester United, who used to port. Um, and um, they're underachievements, if you like, over recent years, as they will put it. Um, but Marcus Rashford, you know, people know the story of him in terms of basically being prime minister for a period during COVID and his incredible work for charity and getting food into the mouths of our most vulnerable children during a time where the prime minister didn't give a toss. Um, so all of that sort of stuff. He's a national hero and he's got an MBE in the UK. So he is a national hero, but his football has suffered. Be it because of that or other reasons, I don't know him personally, so I, I don't know that. But is it a coincidence those things happen at the same time? 
Did he fall out of love with football? Was it the coaching at Man United? We'll find out in years to come when the autobiography, the honest one post-retirement is released. Um, but three goals in the group stages. The two goals against a very, very poor Wales were, mm. were exceptional. The first one, the free kick. You know, I love a free kick that goes straight in, though Danny Ward maybe could have done better. The second goal, again, the keeping may be a bit suspect, but the run, the turn, the mm. confidence, the step overs, the keeping the ball in the box when that's, you know, when people panic. That's why strikers get the big money because everybody panics when they get in there to a degree and he just didn't. Um, Danny, Marcus Rashford, the resurgence of Marcus Rashford, your thoughts on it? Special, special player. Um and obviously being a Manchester United supporter, watching him develop from the youth into becoming a substitute player off the bench to becoming a full out starter to the ongoing argument or conversation as to which is his best position, dependent upon who is in the team and what the manager is trying to accomplish. L listen, I think in terms of his intelligence as a footballer, he's off the charts. I think with his frame and his body and his athleticism, he is so much to handle, so much to handle as, a, as, a, as an individual defender and a, and a defensive unit. Um, his technical ability, left foot, right foot, he can get himself out of trouble. He can combine. He's got the flicks, the tricks, the step overs. He's got all of it. And I think the other part um, that he deserves credit in is that he slows down in the box. You know, like when he gets in and you get that fine, we see a lot of young players or we see a lot of attacking players that are really good players. You know, they, they just can't slow down and pick their spot, you know, reference point where the goalkeeper is and pick a side. And so I just, listen, I think what he's done off the field just adds to the legend of who he is. Uh, but on the field, I, I think it's fantastic to see him turn in these type of performances and honestly make life very, very difficult for Gareth Southgate. The, the one great thing, and this might be to his detriment, is that you can bring him off the bench and he will absolutely be an impact player. You can start him from the opening whistle and he will absolutely be a, a, an impact player. So for Gareth Southgate, I guess then he's got to make the difficult decision. Do I run him out from the beginning or do I know that I got someone that I can be, I can rely on, he can be reliable and I can bring in to change a game or especially when I need a goal. So either way, it's a win-win. Uh, for Gareth Southgate, it's a win-win for England and for Marcus Rashford. I don't think, outside of maybe Harry Maguire's performances, I don't think there's been another player that has been, I don't want to say surprising, but a, a definite surprise to what you're getting out of him so early in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, an easy win in the end. They, they won the two games that they won quite comfortably. The US game was quite different, but again, I think England planned for that and I could get ourselves get a lot of credit for it I think he thought the US was going to be the toughest game which it was he yeah. thought a point would be enough which it was he didn't risk anything in that game at all because we're in the league bit now until we get to, to the weekend um so all in all England I think is very impressive even despite the poor performance against the US I think very impressive Maguire and Stones look assured Jordan Pickford's made some real good saves certainly in the Iran game Carl Walker getting minutes Rice and Bellingham playing together. Harry Kane looks like a sublime footballer. Mm. Not a striker, mind, uh, but a, a sublime footballer. Some of his passing, the, the through ball to Rashford at 0-0 against Wales was... I mean, if that was, you know, uh, Paquetto or whatever for Brazil, you'd be like, wow, that's yeah, that's why ball. he's Brazil's number eight yeah. as opposed to England's <laughs> number nine. Um, West Ham's number eight. Can't beat Palace or Leicester. Great for Brazil, though. Um, 
well, I've mentioned them, damn. Um, but I mean, Foden, Kane, Rashford, mm. uh, Rashford looks like a really good trio for England. Um, final bit on on last night, Gareth Bale came mm. off at half time mm. a- against England. Um, he has been finished as a 90 minute footballer for some time. Yeah. He has been finished as as maybe a footballer, arguably for some time. He said in a post uh, a pre-game interview, forgive me, that he wasn't going to retire. Um, after the game against Wales, the feeling was he went to LA to kind of get some sort of fitness for this. Did score that penalty against the US. So again, it's a folklore moment for Welsh football and for Gareth Bale, you know, 50 odd years, whatever it was. And he scores the first goal back in the World Cup. So great and all that. But on Wales, Danny, you've watched them play. Gareth Bale, what next? Would you advise retirement? Does the body look totally shot to you from what you can observe? And also, it's a shame for Wales because this team... 2016 through 2020 were a very good team, mm. very good unit, players at the peak of their powers with a world-class striker. This lot may be the worst team at the World Cup. I, with apologies to Welsh listeners, with apologies, but I think you're looking at the two worst performers in this tournament are the hosts and Wales. And we expected nothing from Qatar. Yeah, I think we expected a little bit from Wales and done it. We just didn't get it. I, I expected more from Qatar after seeing them up close here in the States. And I know it was a different tournament, but I, I did expect something different from them. Um, but I expected much more from Wales. I, I absolutely did. I, I was, I was shocked at how much they struggled to create anything other than ball into the channel for Daniel James to run into uh, ball right into the chest of Moore to try to bring something down. Um, Gareth Bale, listen, you're you're talking about one of the elite, elite, elite performers at world football, right? I mean, taxi for Mike Khan, um, the move to Real Madrid, the, the champions league trophies, the, the stunning individual performances, the bicycle kicks, the, the way he could at the height of his career, destroy anybody. I saw him, he was right next to Tony Miola and I in Chicago when he was with Real Madrid and they were playing the MLS All-Stars. And he was a specimen. I mean, he is a physical specimen. Mm. Um, so to see, and who knows what the real story was with Real Madrid. I, 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 yeah, you talk about when the book comes out, his version probably will yeah. come out. Um, but to see, listen, Father Time's undefeated. And this yeah. is what happens. And unfortunately for a player that's based on power and explosion and the injuries that he had, he probably didn't feel the same as he felt five years ago. So yeah, listen, at, at the end of the day, I just think a player like Gareth Bale is never going to subtract himself from being an option for Wales. Hmm. I think if he's not chosen, then so be it. But I don't think the, the idea of retirement and taking himself out of availability for Robert Page is, is ever going to cross his mind. I think the yeah. bigger question is what's next for him. Does he go back to LAFC and continue this major league soccer journey that he's been on for the last six months? Or does he look for another opportunity somewhere close to home? Because I, I still think take away the pay scale conversation there's still teams that would be highly, highly interested in what he's capable of doing, even at this stage of his career. Yeah, I think take away the pay scale conversation is doing a lot of heavy lifting when it comes yeah. to what happens next with Gareth Bale. If you For want sure. to pay him a low amount to come off the bench for five minutes as an MLS team, terrific. Mm-hmm. If he wants to get paid like the Gareth Bale of five years ago, mm-hmm. I think it's straight to the links. 
Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.